Jerusalem and Babylon are the two most mentioned cities in the Bible, with Babylon being highlighted 287 times. Revelation reveals Rome, Babylon, and Jerusalem will be the three primary metropolis locations for the Antichrist power hub in the waning days of man. John lists 28 commodities will be the foundation for Babylon's commerce conglomerate. Rome will house the man of perdition's political base, and Jerusalem the center for the global false religion. Join us now as we investigate today's geopolitical and technology landscapes as it pertains to these and other subjects in the Roman Empire 2.0 aligns with Babylon. I am Mark Russick, and you are listening to The Russick Outlook. As always, just my opinion. Good day, everyone. Hi, this is Mark Russick. You're listening to The Russick Outlook. As always, very grateful for your time. Uh, today we are continuing a series that we've been looking into, an overall series, I should say, on the certainty of the second coming of Jesus, these past few broadcasts, with an emphasis on the book of Revelation. Uh, we, we've kind of broken this down in, in, a, in a couple of different areas, and let me just say, one of my driving factors or, or, or motivations is I have found consistently many, many Christians of different denominations have said to me that they don't understand the book of Revelation or they don't understand parts of it. And and more often than not, my understanding from them is they're intimidated, uh, that there's too much end-of-days uh, imagery, uh, they, they don't get it, and so they don't go there. So either, you know, things aren't haven't been explained to them or it, it hasn't kind of registered on them. But it, it's it's also interesting because they they my my understanding from them is they want to understand it. People have a hunger, a yearning to understand the Book of Revelation, to understand the prophecies, to understand the words of Jesus, to understand and comprehend what the future may have in store as best we can. We're not in the predicting business by any means, but we are looking at, or I am looking at, I should say. The Bible as a barometer, as a measuring rod for where we are today and where we may be going down the road. Um, the book of Revelation also states that blessed are those who read and hear the words of this prophecy. It emphasizes the word prophecy. This is a book of prophecy, and you're blessed to hear it. You're blessed to read it. You're blessed to engage the Lord. Um so so with, with with that in mind, I, I wanted to tackle this in a little bit of a different manner than what I've seen. I've, I'm breaking this down into a high-level presentations. We talked about the overall themes of the book of Revelation. I broke down the, uh, the different characters, if you will, for lack of a better word, uh, what they're called, who they're known as, what their motivation is. Uh, so, so we broke that down. We also looked at the judgments of Revelation, what's called the seals and the trumpets and the bowls, and what actually happens in this seven-year period, this seven-year period of tribulation that's been outlined throughout the Bible with an emphasis on the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. That being said about the book of Daniel, I am going to reference this uh, with the book of Revelation in this particular broadcast uh, because it really ties into where I'm trying to go. So, as I said, we've covered those previous areas I just outlined. So I wanted to pause for a second and look around the 
geopolitical stage today, to look around the world today, look at technology today, what's happening around us that may point us to some things that we see in the revelation given by Jesus to the Apostle John on the island of Patmos. So if if subjects like this appeal to you, if you could please hit the like or subscribe button, I would greatly appreciate it. We're on the social, various social media platforms. A lot of them, we have a YouTube channel. So if you wanted to see this on video, there's slides that I trust. And and I've received word from many people that they, they appreciate it. It helps them understand things a little bit more. But also, if a lot of people listen to podcasts. So if you're listening to the podcast, I'm very grateful. We're on just about every podcast platform out there. Uh, For more information, you can just go to the website, and that will steer you to the different platforms. Um, Also, if if you can, jump on our email list. Uh, We just notify you of, of, of new topics coming out. So on that note, we're going to look at what I'm calling European Empire 2.0 and Babylon the Great. And let's dig in. So as I said earlier, we're going to read a little bit from Daniel and Revelation. Daniel went into great detail about the end of days, and a lot of what we read in the book of Revelation correlates or lines up uh, with the book of Daniel. So Just a little bit of background. Uh, Daniel is interpreting the King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He has a dream. It turns out to be about the four ensuing kingdoms that will be to come. And uh, so I'm at the end of of his description, getting into the fourth kingdom. So this is Daniel 2, 41 through 43. I'm reading in in, in this instance and the next scripture uh, from the Amplified. And the fourth kingdom, which is Rome, shall be as strong as iron, since iron breaks to pieces and subdues all things. And like iron, which crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of baked clay of the potter and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But there shall be in it some of the firmness and strength of iron, just as you saw that iron just as you saw the iron mixed with the miry clay. So if you're seeing this on video, you see this giant statue with uh, 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 iron feet but and ten toes. That becomes the ten kingdoms, but it's mixed with clay. And, and that, so I'm going back to the scripture. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of baked clay, so the kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle and broken. So the, the significance here is it's, it's telling you that this will not be a lasting, strong relationship uh, by mixing iron and, and clay. It, it, you know, it, it can't hold. It, it, it can't sustain itself. It can't mix together. And as you saw the iron mixed with the miry and earth and clay, so, shall they, so they shall mingle themselves <clears throat> excuse me, in the seed of men, but they will not hold together even as iron does not mingle itself with clay. So these ten toes, these ten kingdoms will come together, but they will not hold together. All right, so this describes the coming uh, world empire, what we're calling Roman Empire 2.0. I'm going to jump down to the bottom left if you're following me on, on video. Now I'm going to Daniel 7, 7 through 8. This is where Daniel receives visions that line up with the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Again, I've covered this earlier in, in, in when I went through the book of Daniel in this series on the second coming. 
And then here it says a fourth beast, terrible and extremely strong, and it had huge iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down what was left with its feet. It was different from all the other beasts that came from it, and it had ten horns. While I was considering the horns, behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, and three of the first horns were pulled up by the roots before it, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth boasting of great things. So I'm showing you on on a video this beast, this artist's depiction of what this may have looked like. But notice that it really startled Daniel, like he did not know what to make of it. Um, And then this ten horns correlates to the ten toes of the vision given earlier to King Nebuchadnezzar. In the in the middle there, a little small snapshot, it's almost like a caricature, but it gives you the idea. So picture this beast with ten horns, three horns pops out, and then another horn comes up, and it has eyes and a mouth like that of a man, and it boasts, and it boasts arrogantly. So that would be a sign of the Antichrist rising, uh, subduing, or leading those three other nations or kingdoms that came up out of that. So... Uh, you know, that's kind of giving you a little bit of a background from Daniel. And then the lower right, I'm showing you what the European Parliament headquarters looks like today. It's a, it's an incredibly vast and, and massive complex. Uh, and, and you can imagine, I mean, you know, the, the job, the central government of, of the European Union is, is just an, an incredible undertaking. Um, you know, so I, I'm not saying this is the building per se, but this is what it looks like, and a lot of the legwork and infrastructure appears to have been done. So I, I, I just want to give you a visual if you're watching this, if you're listening on podcasts, just look up European Parliament headquarters. Uh, you know, go on to any of your search engines and the images, and, and you'll see just how vast and impressive this, this really is. So I'm going to give you a little bit uh, of a history of the, of, of the Roman Empire but first, I want to turn your attention to the right-hand section. I've got a, 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 a blue section here with yellow lettering. Uh, Gradually and steadily, the nations of Europe have come together, creating a modern replica of the Roman Empire. Europe is more integrated today than at any time since the days of ancient Rome. The EU is considered by many to be the second most political force in the world today. This government is organized into three different bodies. It has a parliament, which is 751 members. What the parliament does is it passes laws. Then there's a, the Council of, of, of the European Union. This is heads of government with each having a member state. So all of the different nations of Europe that are represented in the union, they have their, 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 their government representation there. They work with Parliament in passing laws while also establishing common foreign policy and security initiatives. So each of the member nations has a say, uh, and some being larger or more influential than others. Uh, The European Commission is the third body. Uh, This is one commissioner from each of the European Union countries. They draft new laws and implement policies, and they also pull the purse strings. They manage the the budgets and the fundings uh, for it. Additional uh, EU government entities include there is a court of justice, there is a court of auditors, a European central bank, 
and the European Investment Bank. So a lot of these things, I guess what I'm trying to point out is so much of the political structure that is going to be required to implement and to organize when you get to the end of days, when you get to the tribulation, a lot of this is in place today. Um, then just kind of drawing that, going back to the iron and clay analogy, clay speaks of weakness. Uh, and, and if you consider the European Union, there is diverse religious, racial, and political elements. You know, a, a, as you can imagine, they, the, these different countries have different cultures, backgrounds, languages. There's the language barrier. Um, so they all bring a very unique taste, you know, to, to, the, to the group and, and, and a flavor, if you will, that is certainly appealing. Um, but it also brings with it a, an, an enormous amount of challenges. How do you unify? How do you pull these people together? How do you keep them marching in, you know, in, in one unison or one, uh, yeah, yeah, one voice in, 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 in conveying a unified thought or, or, or walking and moving in unison as far as policies are concerned? Although the EU has great economic and political clout, the culture and the languages are so diverse that it cannot hold together, hence the analogy of iron and clay, unless it is enforced by an extremely powerful leader. This opens up the door for what I believe will be the Antichrist, that he will have that. And I'm going to show you, I'm going to read some things in, in, in a short while that eh, might startle you a little bit. Who knows? Um so I'm going to give you a little bit of a brief history on the European Union. Uh, in 1930, French statesman Ariste Briand attempted to enlist 26 nations into the United States of Europe, which were later modified to the European Union. So it's important to note that this is not, uh, you know, something that's just recent. It, you know, this goes back to 1930, that there was a desire to unify Europe. Uh, following the devastation of Europe in World War II, Winston Churchill forcefully asserted the tragedy of Europe can only be solved with a European national grouping. So Churchill, who had such a strong and influential voice, although many considered him you know, a bit of a loon, uh, but he got the job done and, and with it came a great deal of clout. So he was very instrumental in pushing for the European Union. At the Benelux Conference of 1948, which was held in Brussels, it saw three nations take the first step, which were the Netherlands, Luxembourg, and Belgium. This happened six weeks before uh, May 14, 1948, which was the birth of Israel. Uh, call me um, suspicious, but I, I'm, I'm going to say that was not a coincidence, uh, that that you know, I'm I'm going to say that Satan saw the writing on the wall, knew that the nation of Israel was about to be birthed, so he has his plans in place as well. There are some people out there today, uh, and, and I never thought of it this way, but I've I've been hearing it from a couple of people recently that you know, be, because the Lord only the Lord knows the timing of the end of days, and only the Lord knows the timing of the tribulation. Satan always has to have. A, an antichrist or a person or a character in mind because he does not know the time. So, you know, we don't know, but neither does he. But, you know, he, he can read the Bible, obviously, and sees the se times and the seasons. But, you know, I, I, I thought that was interesting. And, I, and I've heard that from a couple of people. I just, I never thought of it that way. Anyway, uh, just, you know, continuing, it continued to build on and on, 1951, 
1957. And again, this is all outlined on video if, if you're following me. Uh, 1973, you had the UK, Ireland, and Denmark, followed by Greece in 81. That brought the European Union to 10 nations. And I do remember this. That's when everybody said, okay, you got to 10. Here comes the end of the world because the 10 empires. Then all of a sudden, it started to escalate more and more. Uh, 1986, you had Spain and Portugal. Uh, 1987, uh, the, the single European Act was implemented. Then you had the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989. So Germany certain, suddenly was reunified with East Germany, and that was integrated into, uh, into the membership. Um, in 1993, the economic borders between the human... Uh, human between the European community were removed. 95, Austria, Finland, and Sweden, uh, and, and, and it just went on. 2002, there were 80 billion coins were produced in the nations for the Eurozone, thus introducing the new monetary unit, the Euro. So there you have it. Less than 20 years ago, the Euro is implemented, and, and you know even to this day, it is a, an, an incredible, strong... Um, uh, use of currency, uh, you know, that the world recognizes and that you can go anywhere throughout Europe and utilize. On May 1st, 2004, Cyprus, Czech Republic, es Estonia, Hungary, Latvia, Lithuania, Malta, Poland, Slovakia, Slovenia, they were all added. So now you've got 25. 2007, Romania and Bulgaria, 2013, Croatia, and then the UK actually voted to exit in 2016. That wasn't implemented fully until last year with the advent of, of Brexit. So just a little bit of a, a, of a background uh, on the European Union. They have a lot of the infrastructure in there. People, you know, are saying, well, you know, what, what about the, the, the 10 kingdoms and, or the 10 leaders? And, you know, I, I, I don't know. But, uh, uh, you know, we will see that maybe that gets broken down, the, all of these nations into 10. Maybe more will leave. I'm not sure. But let's just say it's pretty obvious that the infrastructure is there and it is in place. So let's talk about Daniel again, where he talks about the, uh, the consolidation of a world power. Uh, this is the angel Gabriel that's speaking to him in 723 through 24. Thus the angel said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms, and it will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. As for the ten horns out of this king, kingdom, ten kings will arise. So this was Gabriel interpreting the dream or uh, giving the meaning to the dream for, uh, or the vision, I should say, I'm sorry, uh, to, to Daniel. So the fourth beast represents the fourth successive kingdom after Babylon. Uh, this identifies the Roman Empire. Since Rome never ruled by ten kings, we know those ten kings have yet to arrive on the world stage, though many have tried. N namely, I'll throw out Hitler, Stalin, and Mussolini as prime examples. Uh, today, the concentration of power in the European Union signals the beginning of the New World Order. I would agree with that. Uh, the global village that now exists through technology, communication, and commerce means one person or a group of individuals influence that their I'm sorry their influence can now be transferred around the world instantaneously. So you have these groups forming together. You have technology coming together. You have commerce coming together. You have the economic 
uh, infrastructure coming together. So everything is being laid out. Uh, the groundwork is there for a world government. Uh, nations that used to be enemies in Europe and the Mediterranean are now joined together for the purpose of commerce and protection. That's another that's another big issue uh, that you know, and, and you see this in NATO uh, where a lot of these unions are unifying together to pull or pull their military strength together as one making them stronger. Uh, the the image on the left, if if, if you're looking that's the beast with the, the uh, that that we saw earlier with the ten horns and the three coming out and the one uh, coming forth. It's just a different artist's rendition of it. Then you have a uh, uh, a cartoon-like image of the different European Union uh, forming together and how tough it is to keep together. So these stars in this cartoon image representing the different countries, and then it's it's a boat that's taking in water. It's 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 treading. It's it's very, very difficult. I, I wouldn't say, well, you know, maybe the analogy of herding cats might come into play. Uh, you know, it's, it's tough to keep everybody moving in the same direction. So I believe this sets the stage for the coming of one world leader who will lead a coalition, who will provide answers for people and, and show them how they can come together. Um. Continuing with Daniel in 724 through 25, as for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise and another will rise after them. He will be different than the former ones and he will subdue the three kings. So that, that's where the, the image pops out with the, with the horn, with the eyes and the mouth. He will speak words against the Most High. So he will blaspheme God. He will wear down the saints of the Most High. So if you're a Christian living in these Days of tribulation, he's coming after you. He will intend to change the times and the law. They will be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half a time. It's an Old Testament uh, expression of three and a half years. Uh, This leader will emerge from the group of ten to take control of the European coalition and become the final world dictator. I wanted to read from you a a quote from Paul Henry Spack. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, right. He was the first president of the European Parliament. And listen to what he said. We do not need another committee. We have too many already. What we want is a man of sufficient stature to hold the allegiance of all people, to lift us out of this economic morass into which we are sinking. Send us such a man, and listen to what he says, and be God or devil, we will receive him. So, you know, so setting the stage for if you can come with the answers that they're looking for, they will uh, hand you the mantle of leadership. Uh, then closing with Daniel here on the right-hand side, Daniel 927. Uh, and he, this, this is that Antichrist, that leader that will come up. He will enter into a binding and irrevocable covenant with the many for one week, seven years. So he's going to establish the treaty for seven years. But in the middle of the week, he will stop the sacrifice and grain offering. The, the treaty uh, uh, gives the, the Israelis or the Jewish people the ability to build the, the temple, build on the Temple Mount, and the uh, sacrifices, the Old Testament Levitical-type sacrifices will be in play and will be uh, actively um, uh, uh, being practiced 
in those first three and a half years. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until the complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on that one who causes the horror. So halfway through, we've we've said this before, there will be this uh, uh, disaster on the Temple Mount. The Jewish people will realize that this is not the man that they can trust or know or get into a relationship with. And he will declare himself God in the temple. He will make himself like the Most High. Just think of Isaiah's description of, of Lucifer. Uh, this will be a treaty that will resolve the Arab-Israeli controversy. So, you know, what you see today with, you know, the whole uh, um, uh, issues with with Palestine and Israel and land. And there could be more things that come into it uh, because, you know, if you look around the world today, I'm, and I'm just saying that's the, that's the impetus, the driving factor of, of the treaty, but there may be other parts to it because you have, it, it's going to be hard to unify uh, the Sunnis and the Shia Muslims. And I believe you're seeing some things where you're seeing some of the Sunni nations align itself with Israel. Uh, you know, the, the uh, Abraham Accords come to mind, but there's also um, strategic uh, relationships with the different security uh, apparatus or the security divisions of these countries. Jordan, for instance, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, they are sharing intelligent inf- intelligence information. Um, and, you know, this goes against the grain for, against the Iranians, the Persians, and and potentially some other Shia uh, Muslims. So after this three-and-a-half-year mark, that really begins the final countdown, which is called the Great Tribulation. So with that being said, I wanted to switch gears and jump to Babylon. And because Babylon, well, well, you'll see. Let Let me just say this. What I'm calling the Tale of Two Cities. These are the two most mentioned cities in the Bible. Jerusalem, we, we've been through, you know, plenty of times. I don't know, you know, we've talked about Babylon, the Babylonian Empire. We know about King Nebuchadnezzar, the, the, the first time the, the, the nation of Israel fell and, and they were taken into captivity by the Babylonians uh, and, and they were brought there on three different um, moves. Uh, um, and, and that was the first, uh, you know, uh, that was the first sign where, and then they came back and, you know, and I apologize, we've covered a lot of this. Uh, and then, you know, in the days of the Roman empire, they were there again, and then they were scattered again after that. Um, so Jesus chose Jerusalem, Satan chose Babylon. So they, you, you know, your, your two central figures here, uh, and, and these are the cities that they chose. Uh, Satan chose to lie to humanity from Babylon about about God, creation, sin, salvation, moral values, culture, and eternity. You know, you can go back to that area of what is believed. I don't want to get into the, uh, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but, you know, part of that area is considered where the Garden of Eden is. Um, the objective was always to get mankind to worship him. Satan has an ego trip that we cannot even fathom. Uh, so he wants to lie, and in doing so, he wants you to worship him. Just think about Jesus in the desert, how he brought him out. Um, here he introduced idolatrous religions, both polytheistic and naturalistic evolution. You know, that, that is a case in point. And sadly, you know, so many people are deceived. They, they keep hearing this, and you go into universities, and you go into the textbooks, and you go into medical school. Evolution, evolution, evolution. 
and you know, and I, I've said this before that when I was growing up, evolution was a theory. Somehow, it's miraculously appeared as a matter of fact. Yet, you know, just this one statement alone. There should be zillions and zillions upon zillions of fossils if we came from amoeba out of some prehistoric ooze and that eventually led from uh, the, these trilobites to, to fish, to birds, to bees. You know, it's, it's just bizarre and people believe it. Um, I, I don't mean to offend anybody if you believe in evolution. I don't. But if you look at the science, look at the science. It's it's just not there. Uh, jumping down to the right uh, of the green highlight, if you're following me, but Israel did not remain faithful. Uh, the worship of pagan idols eventually supplanted the worship of Jehovah. So this is how the Lord allowed, or part of the motivation behind allowing Nebuchadnezzar to take them captive into Babylon. Uh, so interestingly, in Daniel 2, all of the king's pagan wise men so the people he trusted, his court, his soothsayers, his, his necromancers, his astrologers, they were completely baffled when the king said, I want you to tell me what the dream was and I want you to interpret it. They said, unless you tell us the dream, we can't. But yet Daniel provided what the dream was and the interpretation of it because he had faith and trust in God. So here you had a side note, you had this Hebrew uh, um, prophet working in the king's court in this pagan empire uh, who who spoke wisdom and, and spoke the truth to a, 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 the Babylonian king. But at, at any rate, so here you've got what I'm going to call as Babylon, Satan's headquarters, and uh, um, Jerusalem is the Lord's headquarters. So interesting things about Babylon, I'll, I'll go through this quickly. Um Saddam Hussein really pushed to bring this uh, city back to life, and there's been a lot of money that's put, been put into it, over $500 million. Uh, uh, the UN is pushing it to come here. They say tourism, not uh, not terrorism. Uh, that's their marketing slogan, pretty weak, but nonetheless. Um, the book of Revelation shows us that a revived Babylon will be the center of a financial world order which will dominate the tribulation period. So, you know, people look at Babylon and say, well, that, how can that be? But if you think about how quickly cities can come up, how quickly cities can be put together today, uh, to, to do this within a matter of years, to me, you know, they could probably do it even quicker. But they're laying the groundwork for it, I should say now. All of Revelation 17 and 18 are devoted to the destruction before Armageddon and the second coming of Jesus. So, you know, spoiler alert, the devil loses, Babylon falls. Uh, but if you look around the world today, and if you look around what's going on in Babylon, uh, that, that, that infrastructure is being put in place. And I'm going to lay out for you some people who have different views about maybe some alternative locations that could be called a modern Babylon. Uh, this is the second most frequently uh, mentioned city in Scripture. Uh, it's mentioned 287 times in 253 verses, uh, first in Genesis 10, and the last one is in Revelation 21. One out of every 10 verses in Revelation refer to Babylon. Uh, Jeremiah 50 and 51 mentions it 37 times. So obviously this is a very important city. 
as far as what we will look at in the end times. But I did want to point out that it is not a city in ruins. It is a city that is being built up again. Um, they still have a long ways to go, but uh, d the desire is there. Let me just put it that way. So I wanted to list, so we'll, I'm going to point to you to the orange uh, section on the left if you're following me on video. Dr. Henry Morris has done a tremendous, he's a scientist, he's a researcher, a historian, um, just a tremendous, tremendous writer. Uh, I, I want to read to you some things that he studied in regards to Babylon. And I'm, I'm quoting Henry Morris here. The book of Revelation shows us that a revived Babylon will be the center of a financial world order which will dominate the tribulation period. Babylon is indeed a prime prospect for rebuilding entirely apart from any prof prophetic intimidation. Intimation. Its location is the most ideal in the world for any kind of international city. Not only is it beautiful and fertile Tigris-Euphrates plain, but is near some of the world's richest oil reserves. Babylon is very near the geographical center of the Earth's land masses. It is within navigable distances of the Persian Gulf, and it is at the crossroads of three great continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe. Thus, there is no more ideal location anywhere for a world trade center, a world communication center, a world banking center, a world education center, or especially a world capital. So he, you know, he's kind of, you know, he's, he's flipped the paradigm and he said, look, this, this city can absolutely be the hub that, that the Lord has laid out. So, you know, I, I, I just wanted to cite that there. John lists 28 commodities that will be the foundation of Babylon's worldwide, worldwide commerce in the last days. You can see this in Revelation 18, 12 through 13. Revelation reveals that when the Antichrist seizes the reins of world government, his administration will be divided amongst three power centers. There will be a political base in Rome. We've covered the Roman Empire. Jerusalem, we all know about. We'll, they'll call that the center control center for religion. So you will have the Jews, you will have the Muslims, and you will have uh, Christians who will come to the Lord. They will be martyred for it. But And then I'm sure there'll be some other uh, false religions thrown in there. But you will have a world religion. Uh, and then that will be the hub, Jerusalem. And then Babylon will be the financial and economic hub. I wanted to point out something I find very interesting. In 2009, the U.S. opened the largest embassy in the world. Their embassy in Baghdad is 104 acres. It has 27 buildings, the length of 80 football fields. It is the size of Vatican City. This is one capital bill, or capital, I should say. Uh, you know, our representation in Baghdad, and it has its own defense force that's aside from the United States military. It's designed to be self-sufficient and it has its own water treatment centers. So why did the military do this? It's about roughly 65 miles from Babylon. Uh, and I show you on the map here the, you know, the proximity between the two locations. So I just wanted to throw that out there. I, I, I find it interesting. Why? It's never really been clarified uh, and, and it's not really common knowledge that the uh, complex is so vast and so large. So for me, I say, well, what's going on? What do they know uh, that we don't? And then I point out some other cities here. 
I, I will say that, you know, some people feel like Babylon is, is not the real location, that it could be uh, one of the Arab Gulf states, given, you know, their proximity and, and their uh, ability to navigate some of the shipping lanes. And uh, there there is a good case that can be made for New York City. I know uh, of a certain author who, who wrote about uh, who is the Antichrist. Um, and, and what he broke down was really who it is in, in, in terms of one of Satan's uh, um, generals, I'll call them. Um, but he makes a case in his book uh, for New York City because of being an economic capital, a cultural capital, um, available with the, with the uh, shipping lanes, the, the, the ports there on the Hudson River leading out to the Atlantic Ocean. So there are some other th- trains of thought out there about this. Uh, I personally do believe it will be the city of Babylon. I believe when the Lord says something like that, I've just come to watch over the years that I don't care what it looks like on paper or what it looks like, you know, in the natural. If you don't think it can be done, then that's probably all the more reason it will be. Okay, winding down here, I wanted to just throw out a scenario to you. Um, it, and hopefully, if, if you're listening on podcast, I'll describe it as best I can. Um, but if you can see it on video, this is what I, what I would say is a business model that the technology is in place today. And you can, I can see how they could turn this into a turnkey totalitarianism uh, form or structure of government. Uh, and, and it involves the cloud, the cloud infrastructure today, the technology today. There are so many industries and businesses and commerce that rely upon the cloud. That's how they get uh, so quickly or move data, move information from point A to point B. It, it's tied through all of the different continents. No matter where you are in the world, you can get information uh, to and from uh, with relative, I don't want to say relative ease, with a degree of ease. Um, I wanted to, so for those of you who don't know, just kind of picture um, these various locations, a, 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 a vast amount of computer uh, resources, servers that are tied into the different entities that would use it. So for instance, I give you some uh, examples of cloud solutions by industry for 2021, where we are today, advertising, marketing, education energy, financials, financial services, government, health and life sciences, media and entertainment, nonprofit, power utilities, telecom, travel. All of this is in place. It's, it's all up and running. It's all, it's all there. What I find interesting is when I look at this push for the global vaccine, and I'm not saying that this is the mark of the beast or anything like it. It's not. You know, and it's not for a variety of reasons. But the it, it seems to me like they could be applying lessons learned here because remember they want to track you they want to know if you've taken it and then how how if you have taken it um they they tie they tie you into a central database which could be a cloud entity so think about if they put this into you and they're tracking you and they and they you know because if you think about medicine medicine is not meant to you know to track you it's not meant to know where you are what you're doing or when but the technology is such that you can apply this to the vaccine, but you can also apply this to a global economy, to a global government. You can register with the government. And if you think about the days to come that we, where we know we're going to have to take the mark of the beast and you know you're going to, and if you don't, 
you're going and and in doing so, let me just say that you're you're basically you're worshiping Satan, so that comes under the global religion. Um, but you won't be able to trade and sell and and, and buy food, uh, you know, unless you have this mark. So you know, think about today. I can walk in today if I have my uh, Apple Watch and I can just zap it by a uh, you know by a machine and and you know it has all my banking information and I can make that transaction. So the technology and the infrastructure is in place today, and I can do this no matter where I am in the world. Um, so if I, you know, if I'm in London, if if I'm in Johannesburg, if I'm in New York City, it doesn't matter. I can hit my Apple Watch and, and off it goes. It would be the same premise that if you took the global vaccine, it can register you. It can put some nano chips in you, or it can put a type of device to track you. And at the same time, because you're in a uh, central database, they can update you. So we've we've already heard talks about well, there's going to be a second stage of the uh, of the antidote, or, or, or uh, you know, to treat the virus. Uh, there's so you could look at that almost as if you're if 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 you own a computer, you know what it's like. Okay, they've got an upgrade to do. They've got a new firmware. They've got a new software. So they they download whatever uh, upgrades they are. They can do that same thing today. So if I've taken uh, you know, if, if I've, I've received this injection and, you know, six months later, you know, a year later, they say, okay, well, we've got to give you version 2.0. They can do that because I am already tied into their system. So what I'm trying to get at here is, you know, all of the infrastructure is in place. The technology is in place. Um, not that you wouldn't have growing pains doing it, um, but but it's there today, and you can register, you know, via phone, cell towers, satellite, fiber, five G coming up on board, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there is a digital IDs are being pushed now, big time. You know, they want everybody ID. They want them registered. Uh, they have surveillance tracking in place today. Uh, they ha- are pushing the digital currency. They want, you know, if, if you're, I'm an American, they want to take down the the dollar. You know, that's common knowledge. And, you know, just a few weeks ago, China announced a new digital currency. So eventually that's where we're heading. My point here is all of this is in place and I'm calling it the Babylon Information Data Center. Uh, You know, it doesn't have to be, but just to give you the idea. And then I also point out, and, you know, a lot of you know this, you know, we're in the Great Reset, quote unquote. Uh, you have Davos 2021. If you don't know about Davos, look it up. Uh, the global vi- village that now exists through technology, communication, and commerce means one individual's influence can be transferred around the world instantaneously. Sound familiar? Uh, so I, I, I hope that gives you an idea uh, of, of some of the things that are around us today, some of the political uh, alignments, some of the relationships that are developing some of the organization that's already in place that can be rolled out when the time comes. So this was just more of an awareness as it lines up with Scripture, as it lined up with a lot of what we read in the book of Revelation as well as the book of Daniel. Finally, the fall of Babylon the Great. This city will fall. As I said, spoiler alert, the devil loses. This is a spiritually evil city uh, the world will trade sumptuously with her, but I'm going to read you what, what it says here. If you're following me on video on the right, the yellow highlight. 
After these things, I saw another angel coming from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. So the people will see this angel, it will be illuminated. And he cried mightily, and he said, Babylon the great is fallen, it has fallen, has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. So I, I, I can just tell you, it goes on to say, if you, you, know, you read at the bottom, at the final of Revelation 18, verse 10, for in one hour your judgment has come. So that means in one hour this city is going to be decimated, it's going to be wiped away, and this will be happened just before uh, the Battle uh, of Armageddon, which is what we're going to get into in our next broadcast. So I just wanted to give you a backdrop of Babylon, Jerusalem, the Roman Empire, uh, what, what's going on, what's in place today as we sit in the spring of 2021, and, and you know what could be around the corner. So let me close with this. Uh, I'm going to read Mark 8, 34 through 38. This is Jesus. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. Whoever loses shall lose his life for my sake in the Gospels. That person will live. The same shall save it, he says. For And this is the verse that I wanted to focus on. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We will see that in the next broadcast. We will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds, or we'll describe it, I should say. Uh, and we'll get into the Battle of Armageddon and what happens afterwards. But I just wanted to pause for a second because I find these words to be so true. For, for so many of you out there, if you don't know the Lord, ask, seek, knock. He's standing there at the door of your heart. He's ready to answer. He, you know, he, he will come to you. So all of these things that you think are important today, your money, your home, your family, certainly important, but nothing compares to you know, what lies in ahead in the future. We are ultimately talking about your eternal destination. Uh, so, you know, that's why I wanted to close with this and uh, in, in the words of Jesus. So if you don't know Jesus, please seek him, ask, you know, talk to a friend, email me, doesn't matter. Uh, because we are ultimately talking about what's more important than anything else is your soul, is where you're going to live. So as always, thank you for joining me. I appreciate your time. I hope you gain some wisdom and some insight from this. Any further questions, comments, more than happy, please email me, russicoutlook at gmail.com. I hope to see you on the next time when we dig into the Battle of Armageddon, the return of Jesus the King. Uh, until then, uh, remember, this is Mark Russick. You're listening to the Russick Outlook. As always, just my opinion.